0: Uh, good. Well, good to be with you guys. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, actually, you can raise your hand. Bob Cope, who's in the back, he'll, he'll bring a Bible to you if you need one. Just raise your hand if, if you guys don't have one uh, over on this side, possibly, and, and over here, Bob. Um, we uh, love just teaching the scriptures. We love walking through the scriptures. So I realize uh, for some of you guys, you're visiting new. You're like, hey, this is uh, brand new to me. Don't, don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel uh, weird or awkward. We're thrilled that you're here. We're thrilled that you're here to kind of look in on us, read the scriptures, and talk about the scriptures, and, and preach the scriptures. And we've been in a, a gospel called Luke. And there are basically four gospels in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and they all basically write accounts of the life and teachings and work of Jesus. And so uh, what Luke's particularly doing is Luke is, is writing this, this book book, this, this gospel account, to a guy named Theophilus. He was likely a Roman official who is laying before him why you cannot just know the life and teachings of Jesus but be transformed by them, okay? So this is not just about us learning facts. We don't think we, we come in here just to grow in head knowledge or grow in understandings or just factual information. We believe that as we look at the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, as he reveals himself, through his life, through his teachings in the Bible, that, that transforms us. That ultimately makes us new as we lean into and trust his finished work on the cross. So th- that's why we're looking at Luke. So Luke has been unpacking for weeks. We've actually been in this gospel for over a year. I can't believe people come back. that we're, we're still in this, in this book walking through. Where you find us this morning is the Lord's Prayer. Now, I, I realize, especially this morning, there are... There are many of you probably, you, you don't even come to church, you don't even really have a church background, but you, you've heard of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've heard it recited somewhere, you, you're, you're familiar with it, and so we've been seeing what it actually means, what it's actually saying. And so I realize that no one comes in this morning into a, the gathering people of God, which is the church, and say, what, what do you mean you guys like to pray? Right? What do you mean do you guys like to talk to God? Like, anyone knows that. Most of us who know that just don't know how to do it or really stink at it. Right? So, so Jesus is saying, hey, here's a structure. Here's how to praise, teaching us. What a beautiful thing for the Christian to learn how to communicate with the sovereign God of all things. And so um, we just want to start as the, the disciples are heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus knows he's about to be crucified for the sins of the world. and He's going to call and ransom those to himself who he will save through that death and resurrection. He actually is uh, being eavesdropped on by the disciples. They're hearing him pray and they're going, hey Jesus, can you teach me to pray like that? Can you teach me to pray like you pray? And so uh, Luke chapter 11, let's just uh, read the first four verses. They're not going to be on the screen. We're going to look specifically at verses 5 through 13, but this will just help kind of set us up this morning. Luke chapter 11, and let's look at verse 1 and just read right through it. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. This is very common for Jesus. He was always pulling back, always getting alone with the Father, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, Some of you guys are going, whoa, I heard some words left out. Is this a different, you know, Bible? No, Matthew 6 is where he's got some of those other words. Luke's just reiterating what Jesus has already said, and he doesn't feel like he has to say it all. He's summarizing the Lord's prayer here. And so here's what's happening right out of the gate is Jesus is praying. The disciples come in. They they hear and pray. They're going, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to do that? Can you teach us how to pray? We heard that John the Baptist kind of taught the people who were with him and followed him how to pray. Can you, can you help us learn how to pray? Now, Now find that immensely encouraging. I've been saying this the last two weeks. Man, if, if you're in here and you don't know how to pray, even the disciples of Jesus are asking how. Right? That's, that's very encouraging. That's very motivating for us. For those of us who say, man, I don't really know how well, the, You're with the disciples. You're in good company. Okay? You're not to be ostracized, not to be looked at as weird. This is very common commonplace and so Jesus is going to roll out here after he has just kind of brought before them that God is in control of all things, that his name is to be hallowed, that he's a a good father you can approach to who's available inviting, intimate, loving, kind gracious, that that he has a will that that will be fulfilled, that you can participate in that, that we gladly submit to what he wants to do and in his decrees and all that he's ordered, we have a God who forgives sin that we are indebted to because of our sin he incurs the debt, pays it in full with Jesus, then he leads you out of temptation into nothing that harms you but only those things you can delight in and find further joy and further life he's now going to give a parable or an illustration now that's basically just a word picture to kind of give or sum up a theological concept okay that's what jesus is going to do and here's why he's going to do this because he knows the natural question arising right now is well do my prayers matter right i mean i mean if if i'm if i we have not asked for anything up to verse. Four, if I am coming to God saying, hey, you're going to lead me out of temptation, you're the source of all things, you are a hallowed, created, not created, a hallowed being who creates people who are not hallowed, who are not holy, if you are fully sufficient, and I'm ill-sufficient in being created, if I desperately need you for prayer, if you are the one who controls all things, why really ask for anything, and furthermore, I mean, why even do it? Are you irritated by me? I mean, should I really approach you? I mean, if you got all things kind of figured out, why bother? There's that nagging issue in your heart if you really get what he said so far in the Lord's prayer. So, so, so I mean, can, can I talk to you? Or are you just kind of this cosmic boss that is just annoyed when I come to you and ask for something or plead for something? Do you have these duties to take care of? So you're going, oh, not right now. I, I can't listen to you. How do we understand this? How do these things blend together? How do they weave themselves in a way that that is helpful. Let me say this. Um, We're not going to talk about everything there is to know about prayer today, okay? So you're going to leave with lingering questions, lingering thoughts. Let's continue to study. We always want to stay tethered to what the text is saying. So so we're going to look at what Jesus is rolling out here and deal with that, okay, like we've done every single week. And so uh, Jesus follows this up with an illustration that seems a little bit uh, out of context of the rest of the passage. Look what he says in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you then who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his boldness, his brashness, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, so Jesus gives an illustration. It's it's very common for for this day. Okay, back in this day, people would basically walk everywhere on the back of their animal to to go places. There wasn't a Marriott. There wasn't lining, you know, hotels down the Garden State Parkway. This was a very, you know, a lot of houses spread out. So what they would normally do if they were on a long journey, they would find a friend of a friend of a friend and stay overnight there. Now now people wanted kind of a, a good face to their name. They wanted to know that it was it was a kind of good citizenship to, to have hospitality. So almost no one turned people away. It was almost an unspoken obligation to let anybody in to stay at your home. Okay, so so here's what what Jesus is showing here let's give this this kind of word picture. Um you're you're you've gone to bed and and somehow in the middle of the night around midnight farmer Bill comes over. Well look Bill just sounds good with farmers. So if your name's Bill, there's nothing, I'm not assuming you're a farmer, but, but that, just, that just goes, let's get in the context. So Farmer Bill comes over and he's just banging on your house. Somehow, out of town guests showed up. He wasn't expecting them. I guess all the kids from college are home. They've eaten him out of house and home. He has no bread. There's no 7 Eleven open 24 hours a day to go get some grub at or get some food at or get loaves of bread at. So he comes over to your house and he starts knocking on the door. It's midnight. Somehow, your whole crew's in bed with you. I don't know how that happened. Maybe it's, uh, you know, all your kids had nightmares, so they're all with mommy and dad. You've got a double king-sized bed. Everybody's in your room, somewhere on the floor, and you're going, I finally put the kids down. They're finally going to sleep, and Farmer Bill's banging on my door. So you're irritated, right? You're, you're, you're bothered, so you get up, and you walk down the stairs frustrated, you know, kind of resistant, and you get to the door, and you don't even open the door. You speak through the wall. You see this? You're going, hey, Farmer Bill, what are you doing? Right, he's going, hey, hey, I got all these crazy people that showed up at my house and, and I need some bread. There's no 7-Eleven. Can you give me some? And you're like, it's midnight and I finally put my kids to bed. Go home, right? Or go, go find something else. I Man, The cattle are going to want me up at 4.30 in the morning. I, I need my rest. I need to get rejuvenated. So you, you start walking back up the, the stairs and then he's still knocking. So you come back down the stairs. Bill. Go home, right? I'm not feeling pastoral tonight, right? Like, it's just, it's just, I I can't help you. There's, I have needs I got to take care of. And you finally start going back up the stairs, and again, he just keeps knocking. Now, what are you eventually going to do? You're eventually going to come down the stairs, open the door, and give him bread out of irritation, no longer friendship, right? Right? here's your bread, Bill, go home, right, get off my porch. I mean, that's, that's what would happen to any of us if we were in this situation. And here you see this guy who the friendship, what, what started out as friendship turns to this rude, impatient, brash, bold neighbor who's asking. Now, Jesus is really threading two needles here. The, the the first thing jesus is getting at is, is not when you pray pray like a rude irritated neighbor okay he's not saying when you go to god you're you're not god's boss right N- no one is okay god's the boss he he made you you didn't make him so so you really don't have any authority to go to him and say hey you got to do this you got to do this you, right so so he's the boss he's not saying go to him like that he's saying even in your imperfect goings, even in your wrong motives, your wrong desires, your irritability, God is good because he's good. You're not going to him to make him be good. It's just in his character. He's approachable, he's loving, he's kind, he's generous. So even in the imperfect askings, God will do what is good. Like even in in, in just your, your sinful nature that approaches God wrong sometimes. Because he's contrasting it with, look, there, this is the contrast you've got to see. He's showing, hey, if this man, if this man listened to his neighbor out of irritation, imagine what a good, kind, loving dad, father of the universe to his children, how he will listen. There's a contrast. I mean, imagine if you as his kid approach him, how different that is. If even someone who's defective and has wrong motives and is irritated in the middle of the night because of his persistence will still say, Here. He's trying to get you to see that that, that God is who he is because he is who he is. You're not making him generous, you're not making him good, you're not making him kind. Amazing. The Old Testament will say what? That God never sleeps? That, that you don't ever wake God up, that He's always listening. That's the contrast. God's not a God of you bang on the door. He's got too many kids in the bedroom. He's got too many cosmic duties happening, so He doesn't listen to you. He's our Dad. He's our Father that we go to and bring requests to and bring wants to because He's good. This circles back to verse one that we started our prayer saying, "Father," right? And we understand, we we talked about that, how that's difficult for some of us because we had either a really, you know, angry dad, passive dad, aggressive dad, no dad. And God is not like that at all. He's a perfect father who does good in all that he is and all that he does. The second thing that Jesus is teaching here is that God's authority, God's kingdom will, God's renown is not at odds with your bold asking in prayer. I'm going to say that again. Okay, God's full Authority, Full control. You can read anywhere in the scriptures. Acts chapter 1, he has fixed all times and seasons. He has done everything according to his perfect plan. He, he lays it all out, right? Nothing's going to stop God from doing what he's going to do, right? Because it's perfect. It's, it's good. But that is not at all in opposition. Verses 1 through 4 are not in opposition to you boldly coming to God. He still invites you in. There's still intimacy there. There's still readiness there. He delights in you coming to him and asking because he has decreed that those prayers, that those pleadings, that that fasting is all a part of him achieving the ends of his plan. Like, like you're a part of it. Like you get to participate in God bringing about the means and the ends through your praying. Like, have you ever sat and just, just considered, man, I actually get to participate? I get to be a part of his sovereign work? That's insane. That's it's, it's, it's what he's showing us here, that, that our petitions are participating in the means by which God achieves his ends. You know, you see this throughout the Bible. In the Psalms, I love the boldness of the psalmist. God, listen to me. Incline your ear to me. They're not saying it in like a derogatory, hey, listen up. They're saying it in a way of, I know that I'm invited. I know that your sovereignty doesn't hinder me walking into your throne room and boldly asking for things. Because these bold petitions, these bold askings may be the bold askings that you are going to answer because of my prayers to roll out your plan. You see this in, in Nehemiah. I actually thought of this uh, two days ago. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Nehemiah, if you have a Bible, look at Nehemiah chapter one. I want to show you this and then we'll, we'll continue rolling in the text here. Hold on. Oh Nehemiah, <laughs> Eric, I love Eric. <laughs> if you don't know Eric, say hi to Eric after the service. He is, he is a, a joy-filled man. Um, Nehemiah. What's Nehemiah after? Thanks, thanks, yep. <laughs> you guys are all preaching next week. Okay, so here, here we are. It's not after Esther, Job's after Esther. Ezra. 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 Ezra, thanks guys, you were, you were wrong, you failed the test. Okay, <laughs> Nehemiah chapter one, got it now, okay? Ezra, you have to say it clearly, okay? Preaching is conversational, it is. Look at, this in, look at this in Nehemiah chapter 1, okay? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of... We'll go through all this. I can't pronounce those names. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is great in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, Nehemiah gets... That they need help. That they're desperate. That the people are in ruin. That they're, they're asking for help. They've come out of exile. The, 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 the walls have been destroyed. They're trying to rebuild. They're discouraged. And I love this. Look at his prayer, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, saying, Look at what he first says. O Lord God of heaven, the great an awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. Okay, first he says, I know who you are. I know you're great. I know you're awesome. Those are all words throughout the New Old Testament linked to authority, to sovereignty, to ruling, to control. He, he acknowledges before he even prays, hey, I know that you're in charge of all this. Like, like, I know that you're, you're, you're the one who's governing all of this. But look, it doesn't stop him, right? It doesn't stop him from praying. He starts being, saying, listen to my prayers. Look at me. Have your eyes open. That is bold. That's bold asking. Go down to verse 11. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Okay, Nehemiah is here and his understanding of God. Listen, all the prophets fully understood the weight and beauty of the sovereign God of all things. And that did not limit him at all from pleading and fasting and crying out, understanding fully that his pleading might be be a part of the means to accomplish God's ends. He's saying, God, I know that I'm not going to stop pleading, I'm not going to stop fasting, I'm not going to stop crying out, because these prayers, please listen, these prayers might be what causes this all to happen according to what you've laid out. I love it, it doesn't hinder his praying. Jesus is just laying out that because God is sovereign over all things does not mean we cannot boldly approach him as his kids. It actually invites us in to participate in the mind blowing work of redemption. That he would even let us do that is a miracle. So look at what he keeps saying. It leads to this incredible promise, verse 9, Luke chapter 11. This is why Jesus says this And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Don't you, aren't you expecting Jesus to say, and I tell you, don't be like that dumb neighbor. Right? Aren't you, aren't you thinking that's what he's going to say? Like, I'm reading this, hey, don't be like that guy who's irritable and rude and shameless. Unbelievable. He almost says the opposite. Hey, God's your father. Man, you can walk into his throne room any time you want as a son and daughter. What? What? you have his listening ear any moment of any second of any hour of any day he's not too busy for you he's always listening he's eager he delights in your asking it's profound and so he says here don't hesitate to be bold don't be embarrassed don't be timid and approach the god of the universe because he's saying do it he's letting you as his kids some of you are going, wait a second, is this a blank check? Right? I know, I can read all your minds right now, because I was, that's my mind, right? Sinful, broken mind. So it's a blank check. So I can just go in and ask anything, and he'll just give me whatever I ask. No. He, guys, he already qualified it in verses 1 through 4. He hasn't left that. He says, tethered to the Lord's Prayer. Like, whatever's going to bring great hallowedness to the renown and fame of Jesus Christ, whatever will accomplish his good, pleasing kingdom will, we ask in accordance with that. Because you know what? We don't want otherwise. Because the God of the universe doesn't give his children things that harm them or pervert them in the ways that he understands fully in his infinite wisdom. Right? There's such good news. So Jesus has qualified all of us. We just spent two weeks investigating that in last two weeks. Here's how you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So all of this asking, seeking, and moving, and knocking is according to your great will and plan, according to your sacred, holy, sovereign name, according to that you are a good Father, and I can walk in your presence anytime I want and pray. This is all according to that, that you've forgiven me of my sin because of Jesus, and you can lead me out of temptation because I now am dwelt by the Holy Spirit and have Jesus Christ as my leader, as my sovereign God. It's all girded to that. And so here's what he says. He teaches that we pray boldly. Now, he says ask. Now, asking's the easy part, I think. I don't think any of us struggle with asking, right? Especially when there's just ultimate tragedy, right? We're driven there. But I think a lot of us struggle with seeking. Because seeking is actually like putting feet to your prayers. Now, here, let's, let's, let's think about this just for a second. How many of you guys ask something and ask something and ask something and do nothing if we were all honest every hand would be up right including me god would you heal my marriage god would you restore this thing in my life god would you remove this addiction god would you lead me away from this temptation god would you give me wisdom god would you give me strength god would you give me peace here god would you give me clarity of where i should go or what decision i should make right And then you sit back in your recliner and you yawn, you have some coffee, and you're like, hey, God, I asked you, right, show up, where are you, right? But there's no feet, there's no meditation on the word, there's no getting around good godly counsel, there's no seeking help, there's no seeking advice, there's no, I mean, look, let's just put it in tangible ways. You ask God for a job, you don't have a job, you ask God to provide a job. Well, you can't just sit around, there's got to be seeking in that, there's got to be activeness in that. You fill out a resume. You make phone calls. You ask people for jobs that are open. And what happens if it seems like God isn't answering? You keep knocking. But you're knocking as you're moving in your prayers. I mean, some of you, it's like, I've got this addiction. I've got this struggle. God, just take it away from me, right? You keep asking. You keep asking. And he's put godly brothers and sisters around you today who you can talk to, you can fight sin with. But you do nothing. You don't put any feet to your prayers, Some of you guys are in difficult marital conflict, and you think that by asking God, just fix my marriage, that means the marriage fairy is going to come in the middle of the night, and you're going to wake up the next day going, oh my gosh, I love you. I love you too. Hey, will you slow dance with me in the kitchen? Like, when has that ever happened? When has that ever happened? I mean... But you actually think that because there's no walking in it. You don't get in good, solid biblical marriage counseling. You don't get around other older men and women who can teach you how to be married, how to walk in marriage. You just sit back and just keep asking, keep asking, thinking that means God has a marriage fairy that's going to intervene somehow miraculously in the middle of the night. And as you walk in that and as it's hard, what do you keep doing? You keep knocking God, move in this, move in this counseling, move through our asking, move through our movement. Move through this conversation. Some of you guys are looking for a spouse. These are the best. I'm just praying that God just, <laughs> he just shows up with flowers on my doorstep and writes me a letter of the poem language I love. What the heck are you talking? Okay, you, you ask God, hey God, would you, would you give me a spouse? I long to be married. I long to be in a covenant relationship, a covenant you know marriage with someone. And then guess what? You say hi to people right? That, here's a good idea. You actually have conversation. you actually, hey, you're cute. Hey, you're good looking. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, let's get coffee. I mean, I, like, it's, it's that easy. I, I've, I'm telling you, I've seen this. I, I've been asking God, asking God, okay, well, you, he gave you your mouth, too. Like, have you said words? Well, no, I haven't said anything. Okay, well, you know what? You might still be sitting here when you're 85 in your lawn chair still. I mean, I so guys, there is movement in your asking. There's movement in your walking. I think this, ask, seek, knock, reveals a lot of the powerlessness we see in our prayer life. Because God is letting us participate by our movement in his plan and in his ways. You know, um, this, was, this was the best example I know is, is with my wife and I, Kristen, we were feeling led by God to move up here and plant this church. We didn't know it was this church. We didn't know where it was going to be. But I remember, a lot of you know the story. I was down in South Carolina preaching, and, and God stirred in our hearts, and we knew that God was leading us. But, but I remember the big question was, what do we do? Like, we just kept asking. Then we realized we've got to do something. So we made some phone calls to people who would never met us before, they thought we were nuts. And we ended up being in their house having conversations in New Brunswick, and that led us to other places. I mean, there's got to be feet to your prayers, And then God worked as we were moving, as we were having conversations, as we were sending emails, making phone calls. There was constant prayer, constant knocking in our seeking. God continued to use these things. And so we boldly ask while we're moving in that and knocking, knowing that God will answer and God will act and God will work. So are you putting feet to your prayers Where is there some movement that needs to happen in your life? As you continue to pray and lay these things before the God of the universe. And the fundamental reason that we keep knocking and praying is because of his very nature. That he is approachable, loving, kind, merciful, generous. That we see in verses 5 to 8. That's why we do it, which is in counter-opposite to all historical gods of human religion. If you study them, just throughout, the his, just throughout history, you'll see they're all built kind of typically around normal monarchs and kings who are all unapproachable, unavailable, and just demand. It's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible invites you in. It says, you're my kids. Let's talk. Petition me boldly. Ask. Because that's the relationship we have now if we are in Christ. This is why Hebrews 4, a great text that we know, says what? We have a high priest who sympathizes with our every weakness, who we can approach at his throne of grace whenever we need help and we're in time of need. Isn't that wonderful? That you can approach his throne, which is just pouring out grace to you whenever you need help? Let me just say one thing here. Um... The reason that we can ask, seek, and knock and go to the house as a neighbor who God will welcome as a father and not an irritated, shameless neighbor is only because of and through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? So, so this access to this God is, is made through Jesus Christ. So when he goes and he takes your sin and he gifts you his righteousness and when he kind of you know, calls you into his family, adopts you as his own, when he does all of these things, these beautiful realities that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can approach him as father. That's why I've said, if you want to learn how to pray, don't just look at someone on their mat, time of day, hours, they do it. Look at a kid who loves his dad and look at the way the dad delights in his kids, Because that's what prayer is like. And this is so important to understand. That God does not treat his own like strangers. I was thinking about this. There's usually like once or twice every day where I'm either reading or I'm around the house somewhere. And I can hear Jackson. And I hear this, dad. Right? Daddy. Sometimes I'll just hide to make him annoyed so he can't find me. Or I'll run downstairs to the basement. I know, but it's really fun, you, you know. So he starts looking and he can't see me. But, but ultimately, at the end of the day, he, he finds me, right? And then he always goes up. It's usually one of three things. Now, I wish it was, hey, can we memorize Romans? Now I, That's just not what he's going to say. So, so here, here's what he says. He always comes to me and he goes, daddy. And then he's so excited. And he goes, can I have some fruit snacks? Right? Okay, Book of Romans, fruit snacks. I, mean, I guess, you know, well, and then I'll decide if, hey, if that's good for you right now, if that's, have you eaten your dinner? Is this, is this a wise choice? Are you just greedy? Or or it's, hey, can I watch Mickey Mouse? You know, we watched Mickey Mouse yesterday, buddy. How about we, you know, do something different or read this book? Or, I mean, and then my answers are always, but, but he loves coming to me and asking. He has no, no worry or embarrassment asking me anything. There's, there's boldness all the time because he sees that we delight in him. And he knows it's okay at any time to come ask and lay something before Now, contrast that with, I'm out somewhere, I'm not at home, I'm, I'm you know, meeting some of you for coffee or I'm studying my sermon at a, at a coffee shop and this older man comes up to me and says, can I have some fruit snacks, right? you like, no way, right? I, number one, I don't know who you are. Number two, you want fruit snacks? Like that's weird. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like, can I watch Mickey Mouse? I mean, that that would just be odd, right? That that wouldn't make any sense. I don't know you. I don't. What's the difference? That man's not my son. He's not like my son. I don't see him as I see my son, or you see your daughter. And so there is this unbelievable way that God sees us. Some of us have to work through the the chaos that is our past in that so we can actually see him biblically and understand him the way that he reveals himself as a good father. But this is how we know him through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So God treats his own not like strangers, right? We're all created, but we become his children when we trust in Jesus. We have access to him through what Jesus Christ has done. Let's finish this thing out. He's going to put this in context to help us see his love, mercy, and understand why sometimes he says no. Because he always answers, yes, no, later. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I love it. Jesus gives a basic principle. Generally speaking, good dads, decent dads, give good gifts to their kids. Right? And I love it. He does what any good Jewish arguer does. He goes lesser to greater. So he starts out with father or with neighbor in verses 5 to 8. Now he moves to father, parent. And he's talking to the disciples. So he goes, hey, you disciples, some of you guys are dads. Hey, if your son came to you, I love this, and, and he asked for a fish, staple food, which you's going to take a snake and throw a snake at him? Like that's a wicked joke, right? That's evil. You're not going to do that because you're a good dad. Because you care about your son he says, hey, which you, disciples, who's a dad when your son's hungry, right? And he asks for eggs, preferably scrambled, right? Like, wh- which one he's going to throw a, sc- a bunch of scorpions at him, right? Now, scorpions actually looked when they, when they laid down over there in Jerusalem, little, they look like yellow, look almost like eggs when they're down there. So it's almost like, what are you guys going to deceive your kid and just give him something dangerous? Like, ha ha, right? Good dads don't do that, generally speaking. Here's the thing here's the root issue that Jesus is getting at. He's circling it back to the first word of the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are not 100% convinced you can trust God as a good father. That's all it boils down to. You are not 100% convinced that all that he gives and withholds is never to derail, hurt, or wound, but always to lead you into making all things new in your life. Amen. And many of us, including me, struggle with believing that. Some of us go, man, I've been asking for eggs. It just seems like I keep getting scorpions. Right? asking for fish. We keep getting snakes. But we're not seeing it through the lens of a God who's a good father who never gives anything that would harm or pervert his children. And this is just like us, right? Sometimes we will, we, our, our kid will ask and we will withhold and not say yes and they will get angry and pout, think you're Hitler right? But what do you do, right? A good father stands in that because they see the corridor of time. They see what's down the road. They see what is most joy-filling. They prefer laughter over tears for their kids. This is, you love passion in their life. You're going to always, Lord willing, answer imperfectly as a parent what is best for your child. And you don't want to pervert them, you don't want to harm them. Right here, here's what the wicked, evil dad or mom does, right? Oh, they give in to this. So they hear the kids say, well, um, oh, I can't go in the street. Well, now I'm sad about it. Oh, okay, go ahead and go in the street. Right? I mean, only a wicked father and mother does that. A loving father, a loving, perfect, infinite dad who knows all things, who has infinite wisdom, who sees down the full quarter of time of your life, always knows how to answer and what to give and when to withhold. And it just comes down to you either trust them or we don't, right? I mean, our kids either trust us as parents or they don't. Good father always gives to his children with vision and mind of what will bring depth and value and meaning to the life of the child. And here's what's amazing. God, who is infinite knowledge then, who's infinitely wise, not limited in wisdom like us, as we come to him saying, God, remove the pain remove this situation, get me out of this corridor, will sometimes emphatically right in front of your face say no. And it's not because he's angry at you. It's not because when you were 18, you did something that he's still holding over your head that you repented for 17 times. It's because he knows Because he sees the fullness of your life and he loves you as a son and loves you as a daughter. And he says, you can trust me or you don't. It doesn't take away the fact that I'm always trustworthy and I'm always willing to be trusted in. It doesn't change my character or my nature. I'm always good in all that I do. Now, you might kind of analyze that differently, right? Just like normal kids, right? They hate it. We say, no, why can't I do this? And down the road they see it. How many times have we grown up going back to our parents going, oh, I see what you meant, mom. I see what you meant, dad, right? Humbly, it's humiliating, right? Right? And then then we have kids who go, that's why they said that. That's why they did that. I mean, it's just the, the same way here. He knows that some reason he could have stopped it. He could have started it. But in his beautiful, glorious, beautiful, unwitting providence, he knows that if he said yes when you say no, that it would wound or derail you. And if he says no and you wanted yes, that it would wound and derail you, so he says, here's my answer. Because he sees it all. He's outside of time. And listen, this is, let me tell you what I'm learning. I'm going to give you one sentence. If I I can sum up the last month and a half for me. Is the settling of fear in your life has little to do with how he answers. But knowing who is answering. That's that's all I got. Last six. The settling of your fear, the settling of your anxiety has little to do with how he answers your prayer. And it has everything to do with knowing who is answering your prayers. Culminates here. We're going to land the plane here, verse 13, then we're we're done. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says, even you disciples. He's talking to the disciples here. Even you disciples have evil intentions, evil motives. You have residual effects of the fall. You are not perfect, right? Practically, you're perfect positionally because of Jesus, but you're still going to struggle this side of heaven. You're still going to walk through temptation, walk through sin, walk through heartache. You're going to have imperfect motives. How do you who even still has evil in your heart? You know how to give good gifts. How much more so than God who there's no evil in at all, there's only holiness, there's only perfect infinite wisdom. How much more does he know how to give perfectly to you? That's what we think the text would say, right? It doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit gets thrown in there. I've read this and go, Jesus gets schizophrenic for like a second here? I mean, how did the Holy Spirit get thrown in here? Because I would have thought it would have kept going just as I just said it. Now, I'm not saying that is applicable and right and true. But there's something about him ending this with how much will we give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Have of else read this and just been bothered by that? I was bothered by it all week, okay? you don't know you care. So let me, let me give you the answer that, 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 I, that I'm seeing in, seeing in this. Um, the natural assumption is, is what I said before, but look at this closely. He doesn't say, ask for the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, it says, give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him. So I want want us to end just, I mean, this is incredible. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, he goes, you're asking for great stuff. You're asking for good gifts. How about this? How about I give you the third member of the Trinitarian God? Want me to blow your mind with generosity? I'm going to show you how generous I am as a good father. Everything you ask for, everything you ask for is given in the Holy Spirit. That blew my mind. I mean, let's just walk just for a second. I mean, hold on. God gives you the Holy Spirit. I think this through. You ask for comfort, right? What is He giving you in the Holy Spirit? The Comforter. My man, God, I need wisdom. I need discernment. What has He given you? The Spirit of wisdom. That's His name. Man, God, you've got to teach me something. You've got to help me understand something. He's given you the truth teacher in the Holy Spirit. God, I need peace. He, I, need, I need help. Man, He is literally called the Helper. Man, he actually gives you. Man, I need intercession to speak to God. The Holy Spirit helps us. Did you know that every single thing that you have as a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom is only applied through the Holy Spirit? So, So him taking your sin, him giving you his righteousness, him being the substitute for you, him adopting you in, him guaranteeing heaven, him giving you the riches of his son is applied through the Holy Spirit of God. And he's going, man, you're asking me for all these things. Hold on, just remember I am infinitely generous and I've already given you all that you need, all that's necessary for life and godliness. That's why I've said all the time, right, we spend so much time praying for things that are already ours. Right? <laughs> he's saying, man, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, man. How about I give you a part of the Trinity? Okay, that's pretty good. I, I Right? How about I secure your inheritance? How about I give you the orbiting solar system when you die because you're a co-heir with Jesus? You want to know how generous I am? Let's talk about how generous I am. You trust in my son's person and work? All that's applied in and through the Holy Spirit of God, which I have given of you. How much, how generous am I? So when you come asking, you come seeking, you come knocking, hey, don't forget that how much more so have I given you in the Holy Spirit of God? That's amazing. That is so comforting. It's like you go to the bank and ask God for some money, and he goes, hey, here's the bank. (laughs) Seriously. That's that's what it's like. Hey, God, I need some money. Can I have a few ones, a few fives? Here you go. Here's Bank of America, right? Oh, praise God, right? (laughs) pretty sweet answer to prayer, well that's what he's given us in the Holy Spirit, he's given us God himself do you understand that everything that has happened to you as a Christian is a product of the Holy Spirit of God illumination, his presence, his power his grace, his person, adoption intercession, working all things for good in your life we don't even have time to study pneumatology which is the study of the Holy Spirit, we don't have time for that that's what Jesus is saying. He's giving us pneumatology. So God is not like the neighbor who gives out of irritation. He gives infinitely generously simply because it's who he is. So we are bold and persistent and hold to his promises knowing he gives and has already given us what is best. May God help us. Lord, thank you that you're a God who hears prayer, who we can boldly go before. God, we are in need God, may our understandings of your character and nature never hinder us from boldly walking into the throne room of grace only because Jesus Christ has torn the veil and allowed access and entrance and warmth and invitation. I thank you that we can approach you as father, as dad. And God, as we get ready to sing, God, would you hear these praises? we get ready now to lift our voices would you hear our voices god even in these prayers would they be even in these songs would they be prayers from our hearts god if there are those here this morning who do not know jesus who do not have an have an invitation in that sense who have not leaned into the finished work of jesus who offers to make them new and free them from the enslavement to sin god would you illuminate their hearts by the work of the holy spirit would you show them how good kind generous loving you are would you unveil them to the hope of the promises that are in the triune God of the universe? God, would you give us greater delight in prayer? Would you cause us not just personally, but corporately to pray more fervently because you have asked and because they are the prayers that you have ordained to meet the ends and accomplish your sovereign purposes? God, thank you that we are not lost. Thank you that you take note of us. Thank you that we can come to you not as an irritated neighbor, but as a good dad whose answer is always not to harm or pervert, but to give life and lead to deeper joy and deeper meaning and deeper fullness and newness of life. Help us to trust you this morning. It's in the power of your name we pray. Amen.